You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. Mic check, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Here we go. I don't know if it's a mixture of the coffee and the uh, the lack of sleep. I'm delusional. I feel like I'm delusional today. I'm tired, but have a lot of energy. I don't know how that's possible, but I guess when you get when you get old, you have to deal with problems like that. But what I'm excited about today is we have a breakdown session. And by the title alone, this should get you fired up. So we had a, uh, a guy, he reached out to me through Instagram. He's like, dude, I went scouting on a piece of public. And I found this buck bed. And I bro- I- I'm going to break it down with you. And I'm like, let's record it. Let's talk about this breakdown. So this episode today, we talk about locating this buck bed. We talk about breaking it down wind direction, how this deer access this bed, uh, this bed, how he leaves the bed, where the food sources are, what the hunter's access is going to be, um, whether it's going to be an afternoon hunt, a morning hunt, an early season, a rut, uh, a late season. We talk about um, how the wind travels, 
how water impacts this bed. Um, just It's just a straight strategy session about one buck bed. And so instead of like in the past, we've gone broad, right? We are into the details on this episode. And uh, I know I enjoyed having the conversation. It got me jacked up about things that I've seen in the past. And I know you guys are going to love that, especially the strategy nerds on on here. So, uh, dude, just pay attention. You might have to listen to this one several times to catch everything, but it's a, a really good episode. Now, before we get into today's episode, be sure if you see a change, right? If you see the term sportsman's empire replacing sportsman's nation, do not fret. It's the same company. I just went through a slight rebrand. Uh, I'm in the process right now of uploading all of the old content to the new sportsmansempire.com website. And so go check that out. We're going to we're going to be up and running and making an official announcement of a big push socially and uh, on all the podcasts here within the next man I'm hoping a couple weeks we get all that knocked out and then from there uh it's it's man it's going to get crazy this summer. Like on my little whiteboard in front of me I have I break everything down. So May I have transfer content um a certain work i have to do the the website build uh you know like some stuff i want to i want to build out the rest of my loft uh for more storage um all the stuff that is going to make this business run better and then in june i have one bullet point and it says content explosion and so once i get the rest of my business organized What's going to happen is I am going to basically just June and this summer, June, July, August, even leading into the hunting season, I am going to go into like warp drive and I'm getting rid of some of my daily routine copy and paste work and I'm going, I'm diving in and I'm not coming up until I have control of the entire world. So it is, uh, June's going to be a fun month. Uh, I'm going to start revisiting. I'm going to launch probably a new podcast. Uh, it might not have anything to do with hunting. It will be hosted by hunters. We talk a little bit about hunting, but I think the main point of the podcast is just going to be like, Hey dude, there's a lot of crazy cool stuff that goes down on outside of hunting we get beaten to death by all the 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 hunting content and i think this might be a little bit of a refreshing podcast that'll live here on the sportsman's empire so look forward to that dude we got turkey like a a specific turkey hunting we got fishing content coming we have a uh, revisiting the iowa podcast that i've pretty much just let go the entire uh got to shut my air conditioner off uh the iowa podcast has been put to the side while i've grown this business so content explosion in june keep an eye out for that uh and other than that i gotta say thank you to our sponsors much more coming uh to the network i'm gonna start explaining my gear a little bit more i already do that on the hunting gear podcast but tethered 
Huge shout out to Tether. They're now a partner. I'm, I'm, I can't wait to start shooting out of my saddle, practicing in my saddle, uh, using it as a tool to uh, go kill deer. Wasp, love that brand. Wasp Broadheads, man. Just like every time I think of Wasp Broadheads, I think of the song by Metallica, Seek and Destroy. Jin, 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 jin. So, so Wasp, love their heads. If you're looking for a crossbow, Excalibur crossbows, man, they've been around for 30 years. They make a, a very good product. And, you know, when you're around 30 years, if you make a shitty product, you're not going to be in business. These guys have been in there for a long time. Hunt stand, man, on it every day scouting looking at new places to hunt especially on my out-of-state hunts um awesome satellite imagery uh, the the functionality behind this uh behind hunt stand and this app it's ridiculous they have more functionality than any other uh functionality features however you want to look at it than any other of the the hunting apps so huntstand.com vortex optics title partner uh these guys I, let's see they come out with a whole new line of, I can talk about it now, of rangefinders. And my current rangefinder of choice, the, and they sent it to me, it's it's badass, the Crossfire HD 1400. And so it it's badass. So go check it out at vortexoptics.com along with all their other optics. Check out their VIP warranty. And last but not least, if you're looking for a trail camera that actually works, you need to check out ExodusOutdoorGear.com and their lineup of trail cameras. Uh, they have affordable options. They have the next step up. They have cell cams. They have, oh, and I think I can talk about this. I don't know if I'm not supposed to. I think they're actually starting to sell custom arrows too. So out, uh, ExodusOutdoorGear.com. So there's that. Huge shout out to all of the partners there huge shout out to all of you um dude it's only it's only may i got a lot of work to do i got a ton of trail cameras to get up i have some mineral stations to refresh i got a lot to do and hopefully in june july august i can just bury myself in all of that tons of content coming out of all of that and uh, bring it to your ears you guys can have eargasms and uh man that's it so let's get into today's uh breaking down a single buck bed episode hope you guys enjoy three two one all right on the phone with me today mr greg kazmierski did i say that right yep you got it got it perfect perfect all right so greg before we get into the the meat and potatoes of what this episode is going to be about today which is basically testing a theory um you sent me in a message on instagram and uh just kind of spelled a scenario out and wanted to get my thoughts on it and i thought that that idea would make for a good podcast so that's what we're going to talk about today but before we do get into all that stuff why don't you talk to us a little bit about where you're from and what do you do for a living okay so yeah i am from michigan i live in the saginaw bay region uh 26 years old and i'm actually self-employed uh, i kind of do a variety of different things right now um testing the waters in a few different ways uh, my main source of income comes from helping small business owners with their operations management and just like increasing exposure with their business. 
And then I have also recently within the last year or so started uh, getting into real estate, picking up rental properties, uh, really just kind of in the main goal, trying to find a way to start developing some passive income so I can hopefully spend more time out in the woods hunting. Fact. Everybody needs to do that. I, uh, yeah, you know, that's cool. yeah. When, when, when you start scrolling through Instagram or, or social media, you see those guys, you know, like, uh, uh, there's a, there's a whole bunch of them. They're just like, Hey man, real estate, buy this income, do this with it, you know, uh, and, and find out ways where the money just comes in and you don't have to do a lot. And real estate's one of those, one of those yeah. uh, incomes. So, uh, how's it working out for you so far? Yeah, I've yet to, uh, I've yet to make it to the point where I get to kind of sit back and collect. Everything is still extremely hands-on right now. Um, but I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, you know, just like with anything else, there's that big learning curve once you get going into something. And I have found that, you know, really the only way to overcome all of that is just to dive in head first and figure out along the way what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, and so on and so forth. That's a fact. So, uh, and then when it comes to helping business owners, small businesses get more exposure, are you talking about working with the social aspect, like social media, teaching them how to be digital? Uh, yeah, that's definitely an aspect of it. And then other things are going to be too, like, for example, with a e-commerce type business, one that is finding a good number of sales coming in in one department. And then maybe there's an opportunity there for them to expand in different ways to bring in sales. Uh, we'll just share ideas with maybe how we can improve different areas or even introduce completely new areas that they haven't even explored yet. Nice, man. You're pretty busy for a 26-year-old. Yeah, I like to stay busy. Uh, you know, I like to try to pack as much as I possibly can work-wise in uh, this time of the year because I don't really have a ton of summer hobbies that I like to do, and I really try to open up my schedule for the fall as much as possible. Oh, man, that's a win. That's a win. So, uh, yeah. So, let me ask you, I'll, I'll just say this, at, at, when I was 26, I was a pile of crap. Like all I did was party and do all the things that I wish you were doing right now. Um, but so what's the end game here then with like with your, your setup, right? Collect the passive income, try to hunt as much as possible. I mean, do you have a family now or is that something that you're going to do later? Yeah, so I can definitely... Uh... I can definitely say that I went through that stage of just being out and about, running around the town, having a good time uh, in my early 20s. And then I kind of hit this point probably about a year ago where I realized that I really had some things I wanted to achieve. So that's when I really started becoming more goal oriented and kind of putting my best foot forward. And uh, But yeah, as of right now, uh, I'm engaged to my beautiful fiance. Her name is Melinda. She works as a nurse. And really my goal in all of this is to just create that passive income that we don't really have to spend our life working in a way and uh, kind of go out and do the things we enjoy. I, I really like the hunting side. And uh, we have both started to get into do some hiking, traveling uh, to national parks, things like that. So really just trying to find a way that we can do the stuff we enjoy as much as possible. Awesome, man. Well, good luck. I'm sending good vibes your way. Hopefully it all, uh, it all pays out. Now today 
we're going to talk about man like thermals and wind and scent and bodies of water and how maybe sometimes bodies of water can impact thermals and wind direction and things like that so i want you to break down this idea for all of us and and so we can better understand what direction we're going to go from here Okay, so yeah, I'll do my best to break it down here. And if you feel like I'm kind of rambling on or anything like that, just let me know, reel me back in, because sometimes with my ideas for how to kill bucks, kind of get off the wall and I might confuse you. Yeah, that's all right. That's what we're here for. All right, perfect. So my idea here is all comes down to this buck bed I just found. Uh, a little background on it. It's down on a piece of public ground down in Southern Ohio uh, that I've been traveling to for, this is gonna be my fourth year down there hunting this piece of public. And it's actually the first like real legit mature buck bed that I've came across where I have actual confirmation that this is definitely a big buck living here. And how do you, and, what is that confirmation? How do you know that is so a that, buck bed? So that confirmation to me is just like the typical stuff that I've seen from my followings on social media and stuff. I know I got, I get a lot of like my buck bedding info from uh, Dan Infault and just from seeing all of the buck beds that he posts pictures of and hosts through his workshops and things, it was one, a lot bigger than any deer bed that I've ever came across. It had the buck rubs behind it. It was filled with all of that underbelly hair and it just had that weird different stench to it that I've only really smelled before like during the rut when you kind of get in those little rut zones and stuff so I guess that's my type of conviction that it's just different than anything that I've ever found okay and it sounds to me like it's repeatedly used yeah definitely like there was hair on top of all the leaves in there right now you know it was in a thick briar patch and there was hair on top of all the leaves, but then also as I went actually into the buck bed, and if I pulled back layers of leaves, there was more of that underbelly hair underneath a couple layers, which is my type of confirmation that like this is being used quite a bit. Right. Okay. So you've, you found this buck bed through scouting and, and just several years down in this area. What now, what happens now that you found this bed? So now that I found it, uh, really, because so for a little more backstory, I decided at the beginning of this calendar year, 2022, that I really wanted to spend some time and some serious mental power in going down and getting not only just an opportunity, but actually a harvesting of real mature whitetail down in Ohio. And with that, I've been spending a lot more time just boots on the ground pounding the public and just trying to really figure out what makes these older bucks down there tick. So once I found the buck bed, to me, it was now I kind of know how he is operating in the area because there isn't a lot of timber around him. It's probably only about a 15 acre finger off of the main piece of public land. So my plan from here is to try to find a way that I can go in and set up to get on this buck. And then if not, use everything that I learned from it to kind of apply it to different parts of the land that I already know a little bit about. Okay. 
So, so when we talk about strategy, all right, and we're, we're, we've located this bed, this, this point on a map that tells you, Hey man, I really want to focus on this area because there's potentially a big buck that's living in this area or like one deer, or it's just that spot that holds a deer every single time, right? And maybe the, the big buck leaves and the next year, another buck moves into it and takes over that area, right? So the dominant buck in the area, they just kind of recycle. So uh, now that you've identified this spot on a map, right? Talk to us a little bit about the surrounding area, the terrain, um, and, and what you expect this deer to be doing uh, from a maybe a, a daily routine bed to feed pattern, and maybe even talk about wind direction and, and how that routine may change based off wind direction. Yep. So the area itself, uh, the public land as a whole, and then the surrounding area is one great big river bottom with the majority of the heavy timber in the area being the public land itself surrounded by a lot of different ag fields. And then in this particular area, it kind of works out where it's like a little bit of a peninsula. And then the surrounding area is all private, which uh, I don't know for sure, but just from visuals on the road, it doesn't appear as if there is any sort of pressure coming in from the private onto the public. It's just like one of those nice little overlooked pieces. And now the property itself runs in a east to west manner and there is the prevailing southwest wind down in the area so with all of that being said he is bedded down on the eastern end of this peninsula which gives him that natural prevailing wind right into his face all day long and from where he's bedded he's only set up about maybe 75 yards away from the first great big white oak tree. So to me, it feels that he has either the option to drop down into the creek bottom or stay up on top of the ridge. But either way, it appears as if he's going to head right to that first big white oak. Okay. All right. So when you say a peninsula, right, you mean a a ridge or, or do you mean peninsula in the, uh, aspect of, uh, like water surrounding it? Yeah. So for a little clarification on that, the peninsula would be the piece of public works as that peninsula. And then the surrounding land, which in the term of peninsula would be water is just that private property. Okay. So from a deer standpoint, though it's not necessarily a peninsula right so because the deer can Correct. go e- any way right um and yes, so the deer the deer itself well, yes yes okay so in in this in this scenario the buck bed is going to be on a on the west side of a uh w- would be in a west facing ridge so uh west is low ground east is high ground correct Yep, that's correct. Okay, so now you say the wind is going to be blowing in his face all day long, depending on you know the area, uh, the areas that he is betting mm-hmm. on. So break that down a little bit more because I think some people get confused, and I know that for me, 
Uh, I'll just say this, like Dan Infault is really, really good in explaining what he does. Now for me, I can't necessarily relate to a lot of what he says because I feel in some of the areas that I hunt, bucks bed in different locations every single day and they may hit a, a bed or a point every, like, I don't know if, if there's a subtle change in the wind, but let's say if there's a north-south shift or an east-west shift, they're betting on a completely different point. So the beds just don't stick out where I hunt compared to some of the beds that, uh, you know, that he may hunt in his marsh ground or uh, other, other scenarios like that. So when you say blowing in his face all day long, do you feel that this deer is betting in this exact spot multiple times i feel like he is yeah i feel that he would be bedded in this particular area on any sort of south or westerly wind and then he still can hold that advantage if the wind were to shift but it also wouldn't surprise me if he did make a move at that time but it does set up very ideally for that south to southwest wind just because the only way to access this property if you're coming on from the public is from that southwest area, which would, if you're just walking through the woods, bring your scent right to him. Right. So he he's able to overlook the bottom in front of him while catching all of that wind and scent coming from the whole block of timber behind him the whole time that he's laying there as long as that stays at any south or westerly wind okay what do you think this deer's doing on a north wind northwest wind is he just bedding right across the waterway on the other ridge back in that same corner so i don't believe so because he's kind of bedded up on it's like a little flat where the elevation then drops down immediately into this creek it's about a 30 feet elevation change but what i wouldn't be surprised if he does actually is crosses the road into the larger section of public because he can just walk this little creek bottom and then once he gets across there it's a great big briar thicket on that side as well with the only access to that area being from the outside in. Okay. And if you're not paying attention to that access, which it seems like a lot of people aren't doing, then he always holds that advantage, just kind of keeping the creek bottom as his center of influence on where he goes. Okay. So on the other side of the road, is it a mirror, almost like a mirror image, like same scenario, just on the other side of the road on a different wind? Yep. Okay. So yes, it is very similar on the other side of the road. The one major difference is, is that he has a lot more timber that he can escape to on the other side of the road, where if he needs to get that quick escape, on this particular side of the road we're talking about, he's going out through ag. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So, um, we've kind of broke it. Like we broke down how this or where this deer's kind of living, spending his time. He's betting to the East and he's, you think on a South, uh, Southwest, Southwest wind, he's going to be cruising West his the his nose into the wind and he's going to be hitting some oak trees you feel yes okay as the 
oak, you know, the acorns fall or, you know, if there's a lot of them versus not a lot of them, what do you envision this kill to be like? And, um, and, and what I mean by that is, is this an early season kill? Uh, or is this a late se- like a, a mid during the rut kill? Uh, is this something that's going to pop off? You have like one shot or, or multiple attempts at this. How do you envision this whole scenario playing out? Yeah, so it's it's going to be very dependent, one, on whether or not these oaks are going to be producing acorns or not this year, uh, which with the limited amount of land that is available surrounding where his bed is, I'm not really willing to go in there until it's time to hunt. So what my plan is is to kind of take inventory in the area uh, across the road, looking at some of the white oaks over there to see what type of uh, crop they're producing. And if they are producing healthy and it seems like that the ones on the other side of the road should be ready to go, I'm just going to dive in right at the beginning of the season and kind of just go all for them based off of this little theory I have on the water, being able to pull the wind current down and get a super aggressive sit in and kind of just swing for the fences and see what happens and it'll work or I'll look like a fool. So one way or another, it'll, it'll be an interesting story to tell, I think, because I'll be getting set up extremely close to them. Yeah. So the question now I have is reconnaissance. Do you have any trail cameras in there? So I do not have any trail cameras on that side of the road, just because from an intrusion standpoint, the areas that I would like to put trail cameras up, I just would rather not stay in there. But on the other side of the road, where I feel like he probably does spend a little bit of time, especially in these summer months, I have some set up over there as not necessarily like a plan of attack to go in and kill him, but just to kind of take inventory because I did have a trail camera set up near where this bed is last fall during the rut. And I got three very nice bucks on that trail camera. And that's what led me to dig into this a little bit deeper as I went down there this year. Okay. All right. So the, the scenario is kind of laid out, right? Do you feel you have uh, an opportunity? You, so if we're if we're putting together a theory, right? You have half of this theory played out, right? You have the you have mm-hmm. the south and west winds uh, kind of figured out. You you feel now? Do you feel confident that you can locate him on a north and east wind? I do feel like I can get at least back into the general area of where he would be spending most of his time just based off of the knowledge I have in the area. And then also like what I said earlier about how I plan on just spending some more time down there this year, that's going to include me heading down there in the summer months to do some glassing on those bigger private ag fields to maybe see if I can get an eye on him and see what type of day-to-day activities he's doing and then see if he is shifting his habits at all and just kind of go from there. But I do believe that I can get pretty close to him if he does end up being on that other side of the road with a different wind. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So you're confident that you can, you've identified 
a, a buck bed. You're using it as a large source of information of where this particular deer is living and how he's moving across the terrain. Uh, you, you have an idea in your head on um, how to attack him when it comes to, comes to this. And it, it sounds to me like, especially for this particular buck bed, access is really limited. So you're really going to have to be careful and have specific wind directions in order to uh, put the attack in motion. Yeah, definitely. That, Like I said, I mean, typically in this area, I'm getting a lot of those south-southwest winds, especially in that late September, early October timeframe. Uh, so with that being said, that wind is going to be dumping right to him through this whole piece. So what I hope to do is actually jump right into the creek and use that as my access and just do an extremely slow entrance through that creek and kind of allow the current from the water to mask my noise and any type of setup that I have. And then also, as we mentioned earlier, hopefully see if that thermal pull from the water is strong enough to kind of keep my scent back although he feels like he still has that advantage okay do you ever do you envision this being an afternoon hunt or trying to get in there on a morning and catch him coming back to the bed so what my plan is is just kind of to go in there and set up and go after him in the afternoon that first afternoon that i get that i feel like the wind is right and ready to go go in and go after him and then if i either don't see him on that hunt or feel like he just got up and went a little bit different direction then just leave that set hanging and then head right back out first thing in the morning and then just kind of use that as my one go at him but definitely going to start with that afternoon sit and then just see how the hunt goes and then readjust from there. Okay. All right. If you mess up, do you have a backup plan? Uh, yeah, there's about 6,000 more acres for me to go and find another one. <laughs> and it's just time to start all over again. Yeah. Yeah. But at least at this, at that point, I would know what I'm looking for. So I got a good, a better place to start than I had before. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so you got this this kind of idea, this plan in motion here. Now, where does the this waterway, right? Some of this theory that you, uh, some of this planning and preparation uh, sounds to me like there's a waterway there. And you got this idea in your head about how thermals and water and bodies of water or waterways can impact scent and maybe how this particular deer um because his bed is in a certain location may be using this theory yep so more i'm kind of more leaning on the theory that he is solely relying on that wind that he gets from the south southwest direction and he kind of gets in this spot where he feels almost bulletproof where that wind is all that he needs but that thermal that gets pulled by the water current is hopefully enough that he doesn't really pick up on it and he's so confident in that wind that the thermal pull from the current of water is enough to kind of mask me while i'm right in his bedroom okay so explain this to me because you know you have this this ridge it's 
uh, west facing so it's going from west low east high and on the north side of this ridge is up on you know up the ridge a little bit is this buck bed on the lower ground near the creek and so the creek is going to be running from east to west low ground to high ground and so my question yep. my question is explain what you think the wind is doing on that south southwest wind and how it's going to give you the advantage Yep. So I think that where he sits, when he gets that wind coming off of the top, I think that he is going to get all of that scent coming in. But by me staying down in this little creek bottom, it's going to, that wind that's blowing is going to stay over top of me because it's got like that 30 feet in elevation change. And then what I'm hoping is that the water current, which goes from east to west, is enough to pull everything that I'm bringing in back out behind me and stay right down in the bottom. So ideally, if I can get in there on a little bit calmer of that south to southwest wind to kind of offset that thermal pole, then that would be like my picture perfect ideal situation. Okay. Um, so do you think that he is in that bed catching everything coming over top of the ridge and then using that thermal pole to almost get everything that's coming from the east as well or i mean is is the bed that close to the water the bed is right on the ledge that leads up to the creek so what i'm banking on is that in this particular situation he's just using that wind and then he's using he's using the wind to protect everything coming in but then he's overlooking the creek bottom, which is the other side, the lower elevation point, which would be back to the east. And he can see all of that if danger is to come in front of him. But he can't see me if I'm coming up that creek bottom from the access point. Okay. Let's see from the creek bottom. I'm playing I'm playing this out in my head. So if you do yep. if you if you do get low on a south or east wind, do you think that it puts the deer at a, or excuse me, a south or west wind? Do you think that that thermal pole with the the water? So the, basically, what we're saying here is that the thermals are going to be dropping in the evenings, and it's going to hit that, yep. and it's basically going to cause like a vacuum. Or when you dump a yes. empty a grain wagon, and it's going to drop down and pull everything away from the deer. Yep, that's my hopes. Basically, what I'm envisioning is that pull, that vacuum, to look exactly like the current will in the stream. Where if you just go and look at a river, you can see the water just moving down. I'm hoping that essentially the thermals are going to just pull right above the water, just like the current is. Okay. Okay. Now. How deep is this, and do you really think that there's enough? Is it more of a terrain feature at this point, or is, do you actively think the water is a contributing factor um, on on has a play in, in actually moving this around? So that's what I'm basing this theory on anyway, yeah. is that the water itself does have enough of an influence to pull that back down. Yeah. But then also using the edge of the ridge as that visual impairment where he can't see me walking up. And I'm gonna walk the crick 
right up to the point where I'm around the little land barrier and then climb that first tree right up on the side of the ridge. So that way he never can get that visual on me. The only thing that would allow him to do so would be if he had any kind of scent. So I may go in there and this whole thing just blows up in my face and I spook him when I get set up. But if I can base my theory on the thermal pulling my scent down the river, then at least I can go in there with confidence and a good game plan. And that's, that's half the battle for me at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is an, this is an awesome theory in, you know, in discussion on paper, you know what I mean? Obviously a lot of things change when you're actually out in the woods. The first thing that pops into my, into my mind here is if you get in there, you get set up and somehow he wins you on a Southwest wind, um, whether you're below, whether you, do you think you're going to be below him, below the trail he's working to these Oaks or above like on to the South or to the North? So which would be high, uh, South would be high ground. North would be low ground compared to where he's coming through at. Yep. Yep. So my plan is to get on that North side where I would be below him in an elevation point, And then in hopes that he's going to stay on top of the Ridge and work his way right to those white Oaks where at that time, I, by the time he gets to that big white Oak tree, I would almost be eye level with him based off of the tree. I'm climbing being down at the bottom of the Ridge. Okay. All right. So, I don't know why this is one of the first things that popped into my head and I don't know what the, what the piece of public's like that you're hunting. If there's any thievery or, or, you know, bad apples or anything like that. But the, like if, if you busted him on an evening hunt and, or Mm -hmm. he didn't, he, he smelled you or he got squirrely or things like that. I would instantly get down out of my tree and I don't think that buck is, would be going back to his bedroom, uh, like that bed that night. He'd probably scat, scatter and go somewhere else and maybe even be gone for a couple days. But if, if you feel that that bed is very locked tight for him, I would instantly go in that same night and I would put a tree stand up in that area uh, to get a shot at him trying to come back to bed. Um, is it possible to have a? Uh, is it possible to have a tree stand on the opposite side of that crick and still get a shot at where this bed is at? Yeah, most definitely. It would definitely take me going in there and kind of, like you said, if that were to happen, then yes, I would be able to pull down and then go over. And since I already know where his bed is. I would definitely be able to get set up in an area that I would be able to catch him going back into the bed. And I'm not really concerned, honestly. I mean, there are people that go on this public and kind of just like anywhere else, you're going to have to deal with those few bad apples. But with this being one of those overlooked, hard to access areas, it's just something that people aren't really going into. And just from, I've, I've made a, some acquaintances with some of the locals down there and just to kind of get a better knowledge on how the deer are using the area, things like that. And this is one of the areas that they don't really talk about people from around there going in and hunting just because it's not an ideal access. You got to walk through a lot of 
really nasty stuff. And I mean, for me to get in there to get and access the actual creek itself, you know, it's like you're talking about hands and knees crawling for 50 to 75 yards before you can even get to where it opens up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Um, so I, I want to talk, I want to elaborate a little bit on uh, bodies of water and thermals and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And I just, I, I think you, you have a great point here. Um, for me, I just want to share what I've seen over the years. I think from a terrain standpoint, that, that area is good from a terrain standpoint. And how, how big or deep is this creek? I mean, is there always water in it? Is it real shallow? Can you cross it by foot? Like how wide is it? What's the scenario with that? You know, so it's probably, I would compare the width of it to like a two lane road at most of the parts of it and then it's got a lot of bends in it and at those bends it does get quite deep where it'd probably get like about chest high but for the normal part of the river it's running anywhere from like knee to maybe up to your waist but it's probably going to stick around that knee level and the water in this one in particular doesn't really fluctuate that much because it's just a tributary coming off the actual main river system itself Okay, so it is a constant water. Con- water is constantly in it. Yeah, because okay. what it how it works is like it's a big drain coming from all of these ag fields. So when you're talking about going a mile down this creek, it's collecting water from these few hundred acre ag fields. So there's that constant water supply that's always going to be in there. Okay. All right. So that probably does have a little bit to do with, you know, on pulling thermals and it actually, depending on the water temperature, if, you know, I think like if the water temperature is warmer than the air temperature, you'll see the fog on the water or some lakes at certain points throughout the year. Right. So, so that might actually, if the, if you're talking about a warmer water temperature, that actually might help in thermals. Uh, in early fall where you can get above that bed and the the water the warmer water will be helping with that thermal rise especially if the air temperature is cooler yes definitely and the water temp does stay quite warm down there because like i've noticed that too uh just from when i access the main river system in the public even when i go down on like my rut hunts in november and stuff the water stays pretty typically warm because I can get into that without wearing any boots or anything. Just kind of like crossing. Uh, it, it doesn't really get that cold. Like you can cross in November and not really have any issues. Okay, good, good. So let's see here. Um, I want to, now I, I'm going to talk about my experience with that. Like if, if there's constant water, yes, I feel like it might have a little bit to do with it. I feel like uh, the, the thermals may be altered a little bit by the body of water i feel like when wind pushes against it like it disrupts the air and it's not necessarily consistent let's say if there's a uh, uh, a river that's flowing to the west and it has a west wind i feel like that will be very disruptive um, if you have a river flowing to the east and the wind is from the west and it's pushing with the water Right. I feel like that makes a lot of things consistent and it sucks. I don't know, sucks out of drainages, sucks out of low spots and brings everything down to the water and kicks it out and and distributes it that way. Uh, And 
the the thing that I've really seen the most is usually on a waterway, there is a, it's not necessarily a subtle, let's say like, especially on rivers, there's a bank, right? And yep. even if, even if the water is not major, but for, I'll use an example. I have a, um, a very, it, it's a river bottom stand and the, the water runs straight south to north for a ways and then it curves to the west and then curves back to the north and it hits a main river. So on a north wind, I hunt this on a north wind. So right when it curves to mm-hmm. the west, I have a stand right on that bank. And so my scent hits that, that big lope part where the uh, where the 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 channel of this body of water is and it just flows it stays in there you don't necessarily have this big scent cone like you would if you were out in the timber somewhere and you know it shifts a little bit here and shifts a little bit to the north or to the south or whatever so what what that does is it allows you to have this really tight really consistent scent cone and it's in one direction. So um, I usually drop those little fuzzies out of the, uh, the, not milkweed, but it's like synthetic milkweed or whatever, drop them out and just watch it go down the same path every single time. So now mm-hmm. I'm able to be a little bit reckless with my access route to that stand. But once I'm in that stand, it is locked tight. And I know on a north wind, even even if it's slightly north-northwest or north-northeast, yeah. it's all funneling down into this low spot. Um, and at the same time, this is crazy on a south wind, right? It all funnels down into this channel, right? And then it hits the bank. So on an afternoon hunt with thermals and with a south wind, it hits the bank and it just almost updrafts right up into my stand and it just accelerates those thermals. And my scent is almost going straight up. And once it's, once it does that, it just almost creates like a vacuum in the area and pushes everything up. And I have deer that if you take that water system away and I, I was sitting in that same stand, I should, I should be getting busted because everything to the North of me, uh, it would, would potentially smell me, Mm -hmm. but not in this scenario. It just goes way up. And so that's a way that I use, uh, the body, uh, a body of water as well. Now on, on major rivers, let's say like the Mississippi or a major, like just a major river, not even as big as a Miss- the Mississippi, like just a major river. I think that has huge, like a huge impact on uh, thermals and usually on wind flow, usually water, like it just creates, it just creates this, this concentration of catching the wind and pushing it in a certain direction so if you can if you can find those locations and use those bodies of water to your advantage that's awesome now i have another example here which it doesn't i don't think the there's a there's a very small creek that runs through this valley and um and i don't think it impacts the 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 wind at all in in this uh in this scenario unless it is like on a uh on a on a straight it would be east wind because that's how the terrain feature flows so it's it's less river it's less water but more terrain features that do this so i feel like 
I feel like these are some of this stuff that we're talking about is more terrain feature driven and less water driven. But in a scenario where the water is consistently in there, it has a bigger impact. It's wider, it's deeper. Um, it may be warmer or cooler than the surrounding air features. It may have a bigger impact on, on thermals on a less windy day, but I would be, I would be really hesitant of getting in there on a scenario, especially what you've described. I'd, I'd be hesitant to get in there, especially on a west wind and the, and the terrain flowing down to the south to where you might be getting into some spinning uh, winds in there, if that makes sense. Now, I, I don't want to scare you off that spot. Yeah, I just... I just, in the past, I've seen these inconsistent winds. So you got to get higher up on the ridge so that the, uh, so that or higher up in, in the, I guess it would be higher in elevation on the tree so that the predominant wind can hit you and not come over and start, uh, mm-hmm. machine cycling in these, in these, uh, low spots, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And that's, that's where it's really hard to kind of sit back here and think about what's going to work and what's yeah. not. But I have put thought into where I would rather see that more predominant southerly direction rather than the west just for that fact with where it would be pulling my scent if we do get into any of that kind of swirling action. But that's kind of like paints the perfect picture of how – you can't really rely on the tactics themselves or what you hear from anybody when they're talking on a podcast about what works, what doesn't work, because everything is so unique. It's just one of those things where I finally realized in hunting that you just kind of have to go out there and you have to be willing to look like an idiot sometimes because sooner or later, one of your weird, crazy ideas is going to work out. And then you get to whether it does work or doesn't, you just add it to that memory bank and then it kind of allows you to just keep building as that hunter. Right. Absolutely. The other thing that I, that I, uh, noticed, and it's a very subtle, very subtle feature on your topo lines that, you know, cause you sent me the, the satellite imagery with the topo lines on top. And there is, yep. there is what I call a spur ridge halfway between where you found the buck bed and where you feel that the oaks are at. Okay. Right Mm -hmm. in between there, there's just a little bump and you've been in there. Is is that, is that like a really subtle terrain uh, feature in there where it gets low, maybe not even for not a big one, but just enough to where maybe a deer could not go, could go unnoticed coming from that river up to the top of that ridge. Yeah, definitely. And there's actually a, it's not a very heavily traveled trail, but it appears that it's something where if the deer are accessing from the creek bottom, trying to go up that ridge to the south, it kind of works as just that slight little depression where if you didn't point it out, like you just did on the map or kind of really know that it should be there, you wouldn't even really notice it, but it's just enough to kind of influence that deer movement. Yeah. I'm telling you, my experience is that is the spot. Like, yeah, not the food, not the bed, not the food source, but that 
slight terrain feature right there is where it's going to happen. I don't know. I don't know why, but that's what my that's what my gut is telling me about everything that you've shared with me on this scenario. So, um, man, you know, obviously it's got to be between a a to b, right, from bed to feed and and back and forth. And he probably circles. Yeah. He probably goes in a in a given day at night, travels around a whole bunch of different places. Um, yeah. So. I, I don't know, man. Now let, let's let's take this scenario in real quick. He gets out of his bed, stretches his legs a second, you know, maybe goes and lays a scrape or or rubs his antlers a little bit, whatever. He goes, he he makes his way to those oak trees. He and the, let's just say on a on a southwest or southwest wind, he's doing exactly what we what we've talked about here. How does he access this mm-hmm. bed, his bed again? If the wind stays consistent, how do you think he is coming back to that bed on a uh, on a on the same wind that you've tried to hunt him the night before, and he doesn't get? Let's just say he comes through, and he doesn't. Uh, he, you don't kill him, or you see him. He doesn't bust. He just kind of he's out of range, and he goes about his own business. How do you think he's coming back to that bed the next morning? Mm-hmm. So I think that and he's coming back on the north side of the creek because just the reason I say that is because when I just went in there and scouted, all of the rubs that I seen, which they were clearly left by a larger buck, those were all on the west side of the trees, which now when I can look back at it, they were all headed in that linear direction right towards his bed. So I think what he's doing is staying on that north side of that creek. So he's still catching all that wind coming to him. And then he's able to do that little J hook in up to the top of the ridge at the end and then slip right into his bed. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So you would want to be on, you find that bed. So on a morning hunt, then on a southwest or southwest wind, you would probably want to take that fence line or the the property line there all the way into the north and then you j hook or what i call the the right angle rule is where you walk in a certain way and then you walk you take a hard in this instance left and walk take a 90 degree turn right into wherever you're going to set up and hopefully he comes between you and the bed for a shot is that what is that how you would approach it yeah, that's, that's about how I would approach it too. And it's going to be one of those situation scenarios where everything is so tight and compact together at that point where I would get the opportunity yeah. where it could really come down to me getting him or not getting him by, is he going to step into that shooting lane before he catches any kind of my scent? Yeah. It's going to be that, that type of situation where it's really close. But again, it's like, if you're talking about, all of this and that's the biggest thing you have to worry about those are the kind of things i like to worry about when i'm out there not whether or not he's around right absolutely absolutely well i tell you what man uh this was a fun conversation i I really enjoy these conversations and hopefully it's a one and done right first time in best time in and you crack him right off right off the bat now you live in michigan right 
Yes, that's oh, correct. Okay, so you're driving. When is your first trip down there to hunt them, you think? Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, right now I got time blocked out on the calendar to uh, get there either a day or two before Ohio season opens, which I don't know the exact date, but I, I think it usually opens the last Saturday in September. Okay. Um, so what my plan is, is to get down there a couple days before and really just spend, spend some time uh, driving around, uh, doing some looking on the ground in the low impact areas uh, whether it be right off of the road, looking for those bigger tracks, or if I can maybe even drive around and catch them glassing in one of those fields potentially. Uh, and then really just kind of keep that spot ready to go for that opening week. And, you know, if the wind lines up for me on that first day, I'm going to go in there. But if the wind doesn't line up for a couple days, I'll just – check out some of my other spots, not really take anything too serious and just, cause this is what my focus is going to be for that, that start, but it's going to be right in that opening, opening week. Okay. Well, man, I hope it pays off and I hope you don't like, I hope you don't, here's what I hope it doesn't happen. I hope you don't uh, get out there. You have like two or three encounters with them right off the bat, but don't get it done. And then you just like black out and you never, you don't go home. Yeah. You just hunt that deer for like the next 50 days. <laughs> you lose your fiance, you lose yeah, all your clients. Unfortunately, <laughs> right. unfortunately, with being able to work remotely, I do have that option. If things right. get a little hairy down there to stick around, but right. uh, like you said, I'd, I'd be in a world of hurt when I come back home if I don't show back up till October 15th. Right, right. <laughs> Well, hey, man, I, I really hope this all plays out for you. So we have, we have to have a follow-up uh, conversation here. We have to, um, yes. after this, after that first week, I want you to get back on the horn okay. with me. And I want you to yep. say, Dan, here's what I saw. And I want to play this entire process out on air and uh, talk a little bit about um, what you've noticed, maybe what's changed. Did you see him? Did you not see him? What steps you took to this specific bed? And we'll just, we'll chronicle it, uh, the whole, the whole way through. And, yeah. and hopefully, yep. uh, and hopefully dude, it ends with, uh, an arrow through some lungs. Hmm. Yeah. Let's, let's hope that it's a success story and not, uh, one of, one of the ones where I look like a fool again, because the success <laughs> ones are a lot more fun to tell that's a fact, man. Well, hey, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, hop on and, and share this uh, this theory with us and share the uh, this specific buck bed uh, strategy with us. And uh, hopefully, uh, like I said, man, good luck. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to... All the, the partners of today's podcast. Huge shout out to today's guest, man. Um, if it wasn't for you guys, this wouldn't be happening. So uh, shout out to all of you. Uh, the brands, Tethered, Wasp, Excalibur, HuntStand, Vortex, Exodus. If you are interested in advertising your product on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast or the Sportsman's Empire Network, please shout out me. Hit me up on Instagram. Hit me up on uh Facebook, send me an email. You can get all that information off the website and uh, let's do some business. I can promote your product. We have a huge, uh, huge following here. And other than that, man, dude, this, this week and last week have been really a, a test 
for my family. So huge shout out to everybody that's reached out and uh, has sent has sent their uh, their prayers, I guess, their good vibes towards uh, my family and my wife specifically from her car accident. Huge shout out to um, those people, man, because it, it really makes you feel good. It really lets you know that you're doing something right. And so I'm going to continue to keep sending those good vibes out to all of you. Uh, when you get a chance, send them back out to someone who needs them. And uh, man, wear your safety harness.